Well, hello and welcome back to season four of Yes or BS, Paul. We've made it. I know, no one wanted it, but they're getting it anyway. <laughs> Every season we think, is this the end? But no. There's we... just just enough clingers on to keep, keep, keep coming back for more. Our listenership of 11's down to about maybe two or three now, but... Yeah, they're, they're still hanging in there, though. As long as our hardcore squad stays yeah. with us, we'll be all right. <laughs> Yeah. But we're on um, episode 22 now, I think this is. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. That's like, I think we would, does this make us like an established podcast now? <sighs> Only by default. <laughs> <laughs> by sheer force of numbers, we're going to get there. Is it 22? Good grief. Mm. Wow. We're, we're actually, and this is the most consistently we've ever recorded as well. Like this could become more regular rather than every yeah. six months you get a new season. Yeah. You get this new season, like, with the seasons. Yeah. God. This it's it's <laughs> snappy catchphrases like that that are really bringing the viewers in. <laughs> right, so we've gone from three to two, <laughs> right? So we've got, right, I'm going to bring those last two viewers back in. So yeah. just a quick recap of the rules for anyone new who might be listening. Yeah, because this is the start of season four. Mm. So kind of new decade, new start and all that. Hashtag new year, new me. <laughs> <laughs> We're down to one listener now. <laughs> so. Soon we'll be doing this just for ourselves. <laughs> so, a recap of the rules, basically on Yes or BS. Myself, Anthony Edmondson, and my good friend, Paul Anthony Jones, tell each other three facts, and they could be true or false. Mm. And we have to guess if the other one is lying to us or not. Yeah. And if they get guessed correctly, they get a point. Yeah. Very easy, very simple. And if the other person correctly convinces them otherwise they get a point exactly yeah it's so. really easy but we seem to mess it up every week i don't know who's winning who's doing what yeah the rules are really simple i don't think we've ever managed to explain them in like any kind of concise way it always I seems think, to take about three minutes <laughs> i think people kind of get it as they listen yeah it's yeah people yeah it's easier to pick it up as you go along exactly yeah. so without further ado right um i'll kind of launch straight into my first fact okay I'm coming out strong for the new okay. season. Is it history? It's <laughs> yes. Is it Roman history? No. Oh, I have made a promise so to myself. It's the Incans. <laughs> <laughs> I've made a promise to myself. I'm not going to do any Roman history facts. Oh, this right. Season. Okay. So just... it's Japan. <laughs> God, just. I, I no, was I'll, so, be, I'll be quiet. I was so psyched up and ready. Like, I'm so out of place now. <laughs> the psychological warfare begins. It is. I'm, I'm, pro I'm, I'm starting to get nervous now. Right. But we're going even more ancient than the Romans. Mm -hmm. and I'm going to reference the Romans very briefly. So you've already broken your rule. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a full fact about them, though. Right, okay. It's just a reference. Okay. You might remember at the start of season two... I referenced the Vindolanda tablets in Hadrian's Wall. Oh, yeah, I remember that. So it was basically a lot of letters the Romans wrote. It was a yeah. slice of daily life. Yes. <clears throat> I'm going to do something similar, but with ancient Mesopotamia. Oh, Lord. Right, so okay. So we're going back to 4,000 years ago now, to like right. 2,200 BC. Okay. Um, back in the 1960s, the University of Chicago, a guy called Leo Oppenheimer, he translated 150 clay tablets from Mesopotamia. Right. This is all true. Right, right. So he, the tablets he translated were from about 2200 BC to about 500 BC. Okay. He wanted to kind of give a slice of normal life. In Mesopotamia. In Mesopotamia. Right. And it's lots of different peoples and civilizations there. There was the um, Babylonians, the Akkadians, the Assyrians... 
There's all sorts of different civilizations rising and falling. Right. So these letters could be from any, okay. any one of these. Ah, I didn't know that about Mesopotamia, <laughs> that it was sort of peopled by lots of different civilizations. Oh, yeah. There wasn't like a Mesopotamian empire. Yeah. Oh, right, okay. Uh, so we'll, we'll learn, a, oh, we might even learn a little bit more about them <laughs> as, we, right. as we move along. <laughs> uh, you might have heard of one of these tablets. It's quite famous. It's the E. Nasir complaint letter. Oh, this rings a really vague mm, bell. It's the most popular one of these translations. A complaint letter. This rings a bell. I can't remember what he's complaining about. It was basically this guy called E. Nasir sold mm-hmm. someone some dodgy copper. Right. And he's just writing, like, who the hell do you think I am? E. Nasir, the yeah. so dodgy copper. Like, if, I'll knock you upside your head if you ever come this way again. <laughs> Is that a literal translation? <laughs> well, my cuneiform's not as great as I think it, as it once was. But... So you're paraphrasing, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got a feeling that I've read the fact somewhere that, like, the earliest written letter or something from some in some form of writing is a, mm. is a letter of complaint i think it's in the british museum it's about that four thousand years old yeah and I it love is the british it's, museum. it's really famous that one so i'm not going to use that as the fact okay but it's a, that sort of thing that sort of thing there's right. so much gold in these letters okay um the first two they're going to be real because i want to do justice to them okay and the third one is, is going to be the yes of yes, the yes. yes okay right <clears throat> So you're ready for the first one? Right, this is true. Yes. Right. So this is about from 1800 BC-ish. Right. And it's from the Babylonian Empire. Mm-hmm. This is from a son writing to his mother. Right. Tell the Lady Zinu, Idin Sin sends the following message. May the gods Samas, Marduk and Illibrat keep you forever in your good health for my sake. What a nice start, you know. Mm-hmm. Asking all of the gods, you are you're to, right, man. To look after his mother. Look at, they're right. going to look after you, but takes a down return from here. From year to year, the clothes of the young gentleman here become better. But you let my clothes get worse from year to year. Indeed, you persisted in making my clothes poorer and more scanty. <laughs> so, at a time when in our house wool is used up like bread, you have made me poor clothes. Wow. The son of Adad Idinam, whose father is only an assistant to my father, has two new sets of clothes while you fuss about a single set of clothes for me. In spite of the fact that you bore me and his mother only adopted him, his mother loves him, while you do not love me. Wow, (laughs) that's some bitter. There's a very, a really bitter son. (laughs) He's angry because his mother has sent him low quality clothes. Wow. Because unfortunately we don't get a lot of context to these tablets because we don't know what the reply was. Right. The, I can imagine what the reply was. <laughs> you, you little <laughs> son of a gun. <laughs> yeah, so that one, it, there's some theories that he could have been away at a scribe school and he's writing back home. He's in some sort of dormitory. Right. And the other scribes are getting gifts and presents from their parents. And he's not getting anything. He's, well, he's getting he's getting something. He's getting substandard outfits, apparently. Right, right. And, and he's the, having to sort of reuse them day after day. He's having to reuse them. And they're quite scanty as well. So <laughs> he's not very impressed with these. It's like the sort of Mesopotamian version of that episode of The Simpsons where Marge finds that pink dress. <laughs> <laughs> and she has to keep redoing keep it. Keep redoing it, yeah. This is him. This is Edine Seen. Right. Uh, the second letter. This is my by far my favourite. So I wanted to just put this one in. Okay. So this was found in the, the ruins of the city of Mari, which okay. is in... Modern Syria today. Right. It looks to have been around after the time when the Babylonians annexed the city into the Babylonian Empire. Right. So we've got a lord of Mari, who's kind of the governor of that region. Right. Okay. And one of his 
minions out out in the provinces is writing to him. Writing to him? <clears throat> yes. Right, okay. Tell my lord, your servant, Yakim Adu, sends the following message. A short time ago, I wrote to my lord as follows. A lion was caught in the loft of a house in Akaka. My lord should write me whether this lion should remain in that loft until the arrival of my lord, or whether I should have it brought to my lord. But letters from my lord were slow in coming, and the lion has been in the loft for five days. Although they threw him a dog and a pig, he refused to eat them. I was worrying. Heaven forbid that this lion pine away. I became scared, but eventually I got the lion into a wooden cage and loaded it onto a boat to have it brought to my lord. What?! So this minion out in the provinces has got a lion in his loft. <laughs> in his loft. And he wrote to the Lord, who didn't get back to him, saying, what do I do with the <laughs> do, lion? Do you want this lion? <laughs> and then on receiving no response, packed the lion into a crate and sent the lion to him anyway. What? That's insane. I think it's like as a kind of gift, I would imagine. But why? Why not just release it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Why get I, a dog and a pig? I don't know the mind of Yakim Adu. So uh, no, he's got a lion in his loft and then he's got a dog and a lion in his loft. Then he's <laughs> then got a, a dog, pig. a pig and a lion in his loft. <laughs> the lion's not eating the dog or the pig. <laughs> what? I love the fact that as well at the end he said, I became scared, but eventually I got the lion into a wooden cage. So I just like to picture the chaos yeah. that happened to this guy. Presumably he's staying in the same house. Like it's his house. It's he just says a house in Akaka. Oh, so right, Akaka okay. could okay. be a town or city out in the provinces. Right. So it's not like the lion's in the loft and he's sort of having to sleep in the same house. <laughs> no, kind of he's not like, go, going to bed gosh, worrying. That lion's gonna be alright. <laughs> wow. But I love the fact that he just sent it after no reply. So if he's worried that it's going to pine away, was it like that lions were sort of seen as sort of kingly beasts? And that's why I he's think so. it rings sent a it off to the Lord. It's a really vague bell that lions were some sort of royal symbol. Right, maybe. okay. And that's sort of why he's so obsessed um, with treating it properly. Because I, I was wondering, I didn't know whether it was maybe like a linguistic thing that the word lion just sort of meant big cat mm. at that point. I don't, I don't know whether it was something like oh, that. And it might have know. been... It might have been, I don't know, a lynx or something. I think this is an actual lion. Right, yeah. But unfortunately, so, we, so. we don't know what happened to the lion after it arrived in Mary. It was probably, they probably didn't want to look at it and released it. <laughs> what are you going to do with a live this lion? Boy, this lion, what an adventure. <laughs> what happened to the pig and the dog? I, I, yeah, no. You should have sent them them as well. <laughs> <laughs> He's not eating these yet, but we've got him a packed lunch. Good grief. Right. right, okay. So those are the two true ones. Right. <clears throat> so this is either also true or you've made it up. Yes. So this, yes or BS. Okay. Is this letter true? Is this letter false? Right. This is also sent to the Lord in Mary. Okay. So tell my Lord, Yasma Adu, your servant, Ila Salim, sends the following message The king gave me a chariot. This chariot broke at its middle section due to my constant traveling from the flatlands to the mountains and back. <laughs> So now there is no chariot available for me to ride in when I have to go places. If it so pleases my lord, may my lord give me a chariot. I shall surely bring order into the land before my lord arrives. I am the servant of my lord. May my lord not withhold a chariot from me. Wow, okay. So <laughs> I've gone deliberately innocuous. Yeah. This could be believable yeah. or I could have written this. Have you modelled this on the fact that my car keeps breaking down? <laughs> <laughs> you blew out all four tyres uh, last year, I believe. <laughs> I went around the tyres occasionally blowing them up. Yeah. Um, 
That sounds it sounds plausible just because it's written in the same sort of style as the others. But mm. you could absolutely have done that. Mm-hmm. So he's asking for a new chariot. Yes, because the chariot that he was sent mm. previously has broken in half. Yes, because he keeps using it so much. Right, to travel from the mountains to the flatland. Okay. And was this normal that the lords would just sort of give them things? Well, the the guy who's asking for a chariot, he's not just some guy who's asking for a chariot. He's one of the other local... Oh, so he's one a... Of the like local a, overseer. Right. So we've got, like, right. the governor sitting in Mary and then his other minions out and about. Right, okay. Because I was thinking it was just sort of someone who happens to live in his district. But if it's, like, a sort of local sheriff or something no, who I needs bet, transport... No, it, it's some sort of local official. Right. Otherwise, I could just write to the council for... Could you give me a car? Well, you do that anyway, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I might ask for a chariot next time, though. Oh, God. Um, okay, so... It's a kind of someone who's in his employ, almost. Yes. Needs new transport. Yes, that's because, the implication. Right. We, we don't know for certain, because like I said, there's a lot of context is lost. On right. Because the chariot is snapped in half. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Maybe he'd put some weight on, I don't know. It sounds really plausible. But then again, I don't know whether you've deliberately gone with something really plausible. For this fact, I was thinking along the lines of when you did that Dr. Zeus fact and you wrote a Dr. Dr. Seuss, Seuss book. Mm-hmm. So does that mean that you have made this up? No, you wouldn't be so... Bold? You, yeah, would you I be, be so bold, bold to, to do to, that? To drop a hint Or like have that. I thrown you off even more by telling you that? Season four, <laughs> Paul, I'm playing the <laughs> goddamn game. It's 3D chess here. <laughs> um, I'm, yeah, there's not really... I, I can't really interrogate it. The story sounds reliable the the context of it all sounds reliable i think it might be true the only question is whether you've come up with it along the lines of the others and i i think you could have done but i think that you haven't i think that's genuine as well okay final answer yeah i think yes that's true this is true. Yes. I picked one of the most innocuous letters in there. Like, tried to fool you because, oh, that looks like I could have written that. Yeah, it was the fact that my lord kept on getting mentioned time and time and time again. Mm. Yeah, there's loads of other letters like that in here where they, one of them, like, he's really kind of kowtowing to his master and he, he, he has, like, seven or eight lines of salutations to his lords, like, great protector, warrior, oh, wow. greatest lover in the world sort of thing. Good but I don't grief. know if that one was in it. <laughs> But this is actually free to download from University of Chicago Press now. Oh, so wow. you can read all of these letters. So they've all been sort of transcribed into English. Yeah. And right. some really fun ones. It's like, a, like a, one brother writing to his other brother. He's saying, I know you saw an eclipse over there, but if we didn't see it in the capital, it's not a real eclipse. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, what? <laughs> and this is like some of the earliest sort of written texts. Yeah, 4,000 years old. A lot Good of these, grief. Yeah. Another, oh, wow. There's another really strange one. There's this bloke. We don't know who he is or where he's gone, but his neighbour or a friend is writing to him and he said, oh, by the way, as soon as you left for your trip, this dude came round and said, you owed him one third of a mina of silver and he's taken your wife and daughter as pledges. Come back before your wife and daughter die grinding barley in detention. What? Please get your wife and daughter out of this. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, there's so many just like left turns in these letters. It's like... wow. That's like sort of Hallmark Channel level drama. <laughs> exactly. The fact that they've been taken to go and grind barley as well. Wow. It's interesting stuff like this because it's kind of, it does give you a real snapshot of mm. what life was actually like mm. rather than just sort of this person ruled over this and did this. It's like mm. what the actual sort of day to day life of people was like. Yeah, it's another one. There's like an investigation of a crime, like somebody stole some stuff and like these 
three or four dudes just go out and try and investigate it. And they said, we, well, we went to this inn and we tried to ask there, but we stopped for like a drink. And then <laughs> <laughs> so we forgot to ask the questions. <laughs> so, so we stopped investigating the crime. Wow. So, Paul, well done. You've opened season one strong. Yes. One nil to set, you. Setting the bar high. That we'll now, now stumble over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right, well, that was a good start then, Tones. Mm. Yes, more ancient history to add in the mix. <laughs> oh, it gets better. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm kind of sticking with a little bit of history as well, but not mm. quite so ancient history. We're going back to the uh, 1920s with a fact mm. about uh, the president of the United States. Do you know who it was in the 1920s? Ooh. I know you're kind of, you're good with your ancient history, but... Ooh, anything like after... The year 500 AD. (laughs) It's like, what? Uh, Yeah, well, um, it's Calvin Coolidge Mm. is who we're going to be talking about. Do you know what Calvin Coolidge's last words were? Uh, Oh, no. (laughs) They were, good morning, Robert. Oh. Yeah, apparently Robert was the gardener at the White House. Did Um, Robert shoot him after this? (laughs) No, apparently uh, he sort of dropped down dead pretty much instantly after he'd he'd greeted the gardener that morning. So his last words were, good morning, Robert, which aren't the most sort of spectacular last words. Would you like some other presidential last words? Ooh, go on then. Um, George Washington said, tis well, and then Mm, died. I think I've half heard that one. Yeah, slightly ironic. John Adams' last words are quite famous. They are Jefferson survives um, because he died on the same day as Thomas Jefferson Really? Yeah, he died, and they both died on the 4th of July in 1826. Really? And he thought that Jefferson was still alive, and that's why he said Jefferson survives. Um, Were they still hanging out with each other at this time? I or? don't know, but uh, Thomas Jefferson had actually died a couple, just a couple of hours earlier. So he thought that Jefferson was kind of living on, but he wasn't. They'd both gone on the same day, which Ooh, is I like that. a bit spooky, yeah, that one. a bit one. strange. Uh, John Tyler, perhaps it is best... He said, what a way to go. <laughs> it's a shame you never finished that. <laughs> Best to watch, John. Yeah. Uh, this is quite a nice one. Uh, James K. Polk said, I love you to his wife. Aww. That's his last words. Millard Fillmore, um, he died with your review of everything you've ever eaten. He said, the nourishment is palpable. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, he's been given some um, sort of restorative soup. And uh, yeah, he, he said that and then he passed away. James Buchanan died with the words that I say whenever I see you. Oh, God. Oh, Lord God Almighty. <laughs> <laughs> As thou willst, he said before he died. Um, Teddy Roosevelt's last words, put out the light. Ah. Yeah, he died overnight. He died sleeping. So that was the last thing that so he said. Ref- we we um, do like our Teddy Roosevelt references. Yeah, he comes up every so often. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we're talking about uh, Mr. Good Morning Robert. We're talking about Calvin Coolidge, who was the 30th president of uh, the United States, became president in 1923. He's the only president in history to have been born on July the 4th. Nice little bit of trivia there. He was born in uh, 1872. Um, and he was sworn in by his father. Really? Yeah. So um, Warren Harding, who was his predecessor, um, passed away really suddenly of a heart attack while he was visiting California. And Calvin Coolidge was his vice president. Mm. And he was over in sort of New England, I think, at the time. And his father was uh, a notary public, so he was able to swear him in because instantly, you know, if the president dies, you instantly need to swear the next president in. Mm. It happened, to, I think, when Kennedy died, the uh, mm. vice president was sworn in on a plane or something? I think so. Yeah. That rings a bell. Um, so, yeah, his, his dad had to swear the new president in um, in the middle of the night, apparently. Yeah, so uh, that was in 1923. Uh, yeah, and so the vice president took over. He was well known for being very sort of taciturn and not saying an awful lot. And there's a very famous story about a lady at a dinner party 
sat down next to him and said that she was going to make it her job that day to get him to say more than three words. Do you know what he replied to her? <laughs> no. He, he said, you lose. <laughs> <laughs> you see, but after that, jokes died down. Like... Did he just sit there in silence? In silence <laughs> for like the whole, the whole <laughs> of the rest of the meal. Yeah, great joke. But then you know you've still got to like sit next to him for two hours. He sacrificed everything for that joke. Yeah, yeah. Well, he got his place in history, I suppose, with it. Mm. Um, but I'm not going to tell you about anything else apart from the fact that he used to exercise in the White House on a fake horse called Thunderbolt. <laughs> <laughs> is this your yes or BS? This fight? is the yes or BS. Fight. Right. This... Okay. This is the most cobbled together <laughs> nonsense you've ever yeah. cobbled in your life. So uh, it turns out Calvin Coolidge was a very, uh, <clears throat> very keen horseman. Um, but the Secret Service in the 1920s weren't too keen on the president going kind of trotting around on a horse on his own. So uh, because he missed riding his horses, uh, he found out about a sort of piece of ex- exercise equipment um, that didn't really have a name, but it looks a bit like a barrel with a wooden neck attached to it. <laughs> Okay. And it's uh, it's sort of used, um, it was originally used as a sort of piece of training equipment mm-hmm. to kind of get on and off horses and get used to the sort of stance and all the rest of it. Um, but he used it as a piece of exercise equipment. It had adjustable speeds, so you could um, canter on it. Wait, and wait it would, a minute. <laughs> it would sort of jiggle you around uh, and you'd have to kind of brace yourself onto it. And uh, yeah, so he had one brought into the White House. How is... How, uh... How, wait a minute, how is this powered again? Oh, it's electric. Electric. So yeah. Did it, did it move? No, it's it's kind of like like a sort of rocking horse that just sort of jostles up and down. Right. I'm st- <laughs> I don't think this is... <laughs> oh, no, he's having a crisis. <laughs> so uh, this the fact that he had this in the White House kind of became a bit of a running joke. He used to use it a lot. Uh, he used to use it three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and before he went He's to bed, apparently. basically sitting on a vibrating barrel. Pretty much, called Thunderbolt. Yeah. I, three I, times a day. I, <laughs> uh, his doctor recommended it. He said it was good for his health and especially good for his liver, which is a little bit puzzling. I'm not quite sure why that would happen. But yeah, he thought that it had sort of health benefits. But it was kept from the public, the fact that he had it. And the public and the, the press only found out about it when um, a group of mechanics were called to the White House when it broke. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, they kind of suddenly had to make this public that uh, the president had this large fake mechanical horse that he liked to ride three times a day. This, no, this is so this BS. kind of became uh, you've got no idea what's coming yet. <laughs> so this kind of became a bit of a sort of running joke. And there were lots of sort of headlines from the time about kind of making fun of the president's reputation that have horse puns in them. Mm-hmm. But it sort of reached a pinnacle when someone called Fred Vinson stood up in the House of Representatives and delivered a mocking poem mm-hmm. about the president's uh, electronic vibrating horse. <laughs> uh, the poem is actually quite long. Um, I, the last time I said that was when we were talking about Mozart's pet starling. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we're returning to old ground. So he has just one of the many verses that he came up with. The hobby horse, tis early seen... <laughs> is as silent as its master. <laughs> it trots and canters in one spot, the jockey urging it faster. <laughs> You've written this. So that is my fact, that uh, the 30th president of the United States had a fake 
vibrating horse called Thunderbolt that he used to ride for health-giving reasons three times a day. This sounds less like an exercise device than it does some sort of elaborate sex toy that Calvin Coolidge has put together. So well, Lord knows what's going on in the 1920s White House. Well, I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you come up with that. Uh, <laughs> you can explore that. Uh, <laughs> That theory that'll in your own like, time. That'll be my solo episode next week. <laughs> Calvin like, Coolidge's <laughs> enormous metal vibrating sex toy. A four-hour special, like in-depth investigation. Uh, uh, and our final listeners have gone. <laughs> <laughs> Down to zero. So, questions right. to interrogate this. You mentioned the Secret Service didn't like him mm. going out on his horse. Did Was the Secret Service even a thing then? Oh, I don't I, know. I'd always thought... Secret Service was much more modern. I, I'm guessing probably that the name Secret Service itself is probably quite modern, mm. but it's maybe been his sort of presidential team, his sort of mm. security detail or whatever that equivalent would have been in the 20s. There's a question for you as well, because um, I know it's the US Marines who guard the White House. Mm. I don't know when that started as well. No, I don't know. No, I don't know. If anybody knows, but, let us know. Yeah, we, we'll <laughs> research and we'll put it on Patreon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but only if it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, the, the, yeah, it might just have been sort of the equivalent thereof in the 1920s. Okay, so he used to be an avid horse rider before. Yeah, he, he missed missed riding his horses when he was told that he shouldn't go out alone. So this barrel, did it literally just vibrate and go up and down? I think it's kind of like, um, you know, have, have you ever seen the film uh, National Velvet? No. Oh, right. Okay. The the sort of filmed close-ups of Elizabeth Taylor riding a horse on a fake horse ah. that sort of jostled her around. And it's kind of like that. I don't see the kind of the health benefits you get from that. Though. I'm a little bit puzzled as to why his doctor sort of said that it's kind of salubrious, but um, yeah, and, and sort of health giving. Mm. But uh, yeah, it said it was good for his liver. I don't know whether it was... It, I'm, I, I've never been on a horse. Have you? Once as a child. Do you have to sort of brace? Is it good for the core? I don't... <laughs> It was only like six. I wasn't thinking about rock hard abs at the time. Well, because you'd already had them. <laughs> I was a very strong child. Horse's <laughs> eyes are bugging out. Just, um, the horse was massive when I was. I remember. Well, when you six, I think everything's massive. <laughs> I remember being terrified. I, I sure bet it was a donkey. No, I rode a donkey on the beach as well. But right. I did ride a proper horse. It was being led by someone. I didn't just gallop off with it. <laughs> When you're six, yeah. why, why were you on a full-grown horse when you were six? Because there was the, at some sort of country fair, they were doing horse rides. Oh. I'm sure. It, I'm sure this happened. Your parents trying to get rid of you. <laughs> it's, it's my my mum slaps the horse on the on the rump and gallops off. Well, that's that's one god. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. No, I don't think I've ever been on a horse. Anyway, you're distracting me. Yeah. Anyway. These. Anyway. I'm um, getting back to the interrogation. Yeah. So, at the, in terms of sort of a health giving thing, I think it, you, there must be something. You must get some sort of exercise out of being on a horse. That well, and, not, not a vibrating barrel though. A well, horse, true. A horse, yes. Yeah. If it's you've, just sort of jostling them around, you've got to I use think. some sort of strength to hold on. Well, maybe that's just... kind of like a buck and bronco. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe like it kind of went like that. Strengthen the thigh muscles, maybe yeah. the core. Yeah. I don't know why he said it was good for his liver. I don't know whether it's maybe sort of improved circulation or something. Mm. But uh, yeah, three times a day he swore by it. Mm. Last interrogation mm-hmm. on you mentioned House of Representatives. Someone mm-hmm. said a poem. Mm-hmm. Are you allowed to just read poems in the House of Representatives? No, I th- I think... Do you not have to have? It, does it not have to be relevant to some sort of legislation or something? Oh, I don't know. I, have to, I can imagine that if they've just got a sort of open debate mm. and you've decided to put that into your speech, then oh, I know filibustering's a thing. Yeah, you just talk and talk. The US, where they just talk about anything. Yeah. to kind of keep 
the debate from happening. Yeah. So again, I don't know much about US politics. Mm. Mm, but that poem though, <laughs> such shocking. This, you know what? Screw it. I'm gonna no, no. This is BS. You're not gonna get me twice with two awful poems. <laughs> I think I've made up quite a few. Poems no, over no. The time. You've, you've given that look. I'm gonna go. This is true. You've d- d- true. Right. Okay. That's my f- no. No. <laughs> true. True. Fine you answer. go with true. No. False has to be false. <laughs> Definitely false. This has to be false. I think we're 20 minutes into season four and you're already having a crisis. You've changed your mind about five times. No, I'm sticking with this one. Okay. BS. This is BS. Final answer? Yes. This is BS? Has to be. That entire story? Has to be BS. It's true. (laughs) God. It's completely true, yeah. And there is a photo of this on uh, on the White House website so yeah wow is this also how you arrived here today pretty much I mean my car's not in great shape at the minute actually if you remember the Christmas special we mentioned co- uh, Paul's car troubles oh yeah uh, it's, it's like a continuing drama like there's a subtext <laughs> to all these episodes now I'll, I'll, I'll keep you informed as to how terrible my car is I refuse to even get in that car now yeah it's probably sensible well, I don't I... even like getting in it refused it before anyway with the shocking driving skills you've got I'm not the best driver in the world no anyway but... we'll leave your vibrating barrel <laughs> car nonsense he's had a breakdown already <laughs> I'm like genuinely in re- I've got a headache <laughs> this is and this you is... haven't even been on the horse yet <laughs> I would say well done, Paul, but I'm just so disappointed that that was actually true. (laughs) I don't want to give you any credit for it. You went back and forth a lot there. (laughs) It's because you've got me in a right mess with poems. Anything with a poem in just throws me right off. I'm going to bear that in mind. Right. Anyway, on to my next one. Right, okay. Taking a completely different tack. This isn't Mm -hmm. really... Well, it's kind... It is history, but it's not... It's more like technological history. Okay. So a bit of a slightly different tack on this one. Okay. It's about driving. Right. Because I was inspired the other day because I was driving back from Coventry and I was in about 17 traffic jams and it took us mm-hmm. five and a half hours to get back. So I thought I'd start. What a glamorous <laughs> life you lead. <laughs> but I thought we don't had many like driving facts. The only one we had was your fact about the parking sign. Oh, yeah, in and the I'm, Amsterdam Olympics. And I'm yeah. going to be honest, Paul, that wasn't the most thrilling of facts no, we I, could have I, had. Yeah, what I like about that is that I introduced it with a preamble of far more superior facts. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, anyway. But some random driving facts. I wanted a, a callback to your first ever book, Paul. Oh, Lord. Right, okay. Now, do you remember one of the facts you had in there? The first ever speeding ticket to be issued in the UK. Oh, yeah. It was in Kent, I It think. was. And... The guy was going at about four miles an hour. He was going at eight miles eight an hour. Eight miles an hour. The speed limit was two miles an hour. Right. And he should have had someone with a red flag in front of it. Yes. This was in 1896, by the way. And he was overtaken by a policeman on a bicycle, I think. But yeah, a policeman on a bicycle was chasing him. Right. And the chase lasted for five miles. <laughs> now, right. I, I questioned this because I'm pretty sure I can run faster than eight miles an hour. I, I don't know about speeds at all. Like, but when you hit the gym on the treadmill, like yeah. when you're running, it says 
I'm sure I was running at eight or nine miles an hour the other day. Right. Like, you could have just caught him and pulled him out of the car. <laughs> like, how did it take you five miles to catch him on a bicycle? And the car, the car back then would have been open topped, would it? Yeah, open topped. I think it was a Benz. It would have been one of the first oh, cars know. in the 80s, 90s. Know. Wow, that is a callback to my first book. I, I can't even remember. You remember nothing that. you ever written. No, I can't remember <laughs> like, what I did yesterday. I'm just going to just go through your facts one by one. You could absolutely episode. go through anything that I've written ever and I won't be able to remember it. <laughs> Uh, some other driving facts. A survey from the RAC noted that 92% of British drivers thought they were competent behind the wheel. Right. This is a lie. <laughs> Only I am competent behind the wheel. Everyone else is insane. I'm one of those unique drivers who knows he isn't competent behind, <laughs> you're, behind the wheel. You're, you're, you are the 8%. Yeah. Um, about 35% of the world drive on the left. Um, I only bring this up because the Romans marched on the left. That's my only Roman fact. You keep saying that you're not going to do the Romans and you brought them into both facts so far. <laughs> That's my plan for season four. They're not going to get a full fact. They're just going to get, they're going to get peppered right, gently okay. across all the other facts. Okay. Do you think that those two things are related? Uh, That's think, a no. <laughs> but I think the original reason for driving on the left... Um, driving on the left was because when you walked on the left you had your sword arm free because most people were right-handed there's lots of different theories. is that true there's lot there's theories i didn't say it was true that sounds like folklore there's i think most of the reasons are folklore. right that's like that thing about why spiral staircases go the way that they exactly, do exactly because you can get i think that is true though is that true yeah because in castles at least it is anyway oh, right because okay. um it's easier for defense if you're right-handed yeah if someone's coming up mm. yeah yeah um, but most of the world, you know, drives on the right. Mm. Uh, it was popularised, again, this might not be true, popularised by kind of big American wagons that took up large parts of the road. Right. And the driver would sit on one of the front horses and he would let people pass on his left so he could drive the horses with his right hand. Oh, right. That okay. makes sense. Right. So oh, he, could, right. he wanted to look over his left shoulder to see people coming so he could whip the horses with his right hand. Oh Which right! Is why okay, the Americans started to drive, drive on the right. Is that true? Again, don't know if it is true. Right, it's just lots of theories. That, and that stories. sounds very plausible, but mm. again, it sounds almost kind of too neat. Mm. But exactly, I think a lot of these stories probably are apocryphal. Yeah. To be honest, it's yeah. just, it just probably just happened. It's naturally. interesting. That's one of those questions that you kind of you, you never really think about why mm. there is a difference there. Yeah, as soon as you kind of start thinking about it, it becomes a lot more interesting. Yeah, it was popularized in Europe by Napoleon, who preferred driving on the right anyway. Oh right, so okay. that's where he drove his wagons and stuff. But we're not talking about driving on the left or right. That's just a, an interesting little side fact. Okay, because we're going back to eighteen ninety. Yeah. Right. It's not quite a car. It's like a. You'll. I'll get into this when I describe it. It's like right. a proto type of car. Okay. Have you ever heard of the Wilson Dosset pump trolley? <laughs> Is that a euphemism? <laughs> the Wilson <laughs> Dosset pump trolley. Yes. No, I haven't. Now I'll get into the mechanics of this in a minute. But mm -hmm. it was designed in 1890 by a husband and wife team called Clarence and Euphemia Wilson. Or okay. Effie, she was known as for right. um, But it was part-funded by her father, uh, Charles Dossett. Right. So, Wilson Dossett Pump Trolley. Okay. The Pump Trolley. Yes. We're getting, we're getting to this. Okay. So, don't worry. So, Effie's parents, they were both school teachers, uh, kind of part of the burgeoning middle classes at the time in Victorian England. Right. And so, they were able to help fund some of their son-in-law's projects. 
like the Wilson Dosset. Okay. And the context for the time as well, there were people were getting more holidays around this time. There was the Holidays Act of 1871, which introduced more bank holidays and time off. Okay. And people were starting to kind of demand more workers' rights. Unions were starting to come to the fore. Right. And this is where the inspiration for the Wilson Dosset pump trolley comes in. I'm kind of trying to add this all up in my head. I've got something called a pump trolley, <laughs> along with people getting more time off work. Now, onto the pump trolley itself. Physically get onto the pump trolley? (laughs) It looked a little bit like what we might know as a car. Because it it had rubber wheels. Right. It was more of a wooden box, though. My car's not wooden. It's not (laughs) very reliable, but I don't think it's wooden. It looked a bit like a car. Right. So it had a a driver who was front and centre with a steering wheel. Right. drove the two front wheels. Okay. And two... Other drivers, in inverted commas, would operate a kind of like a push-me-pull-you pump. Oh, right. Okay. And that would kind of propel this little cart forward. Like one of those things on the train line. Yes. So like a train track push-me-pull-you trolley. Right. And what Clarence and Effie were trying to get with this, it was kind of, again, an affordable way to get out of the city to go camping or out into the countryside for a picnic. Right. And you could fit three passengers in the back as well. And there was a storage compartment to put camping equipment alongside a picnic equipment as well. How how big was this thing? Um, well, big enough to fit the driver. Um, two, two other were, drivers. Two other drivers. And three passengers. And three passengers. And a pump. Plus, well, yes, the pump. It wasn't a massive pump. It wasn't like... It, it wasn't sort of 10 foot long. No. Right, <laughs> it, was, okay. it was like, it was just kind of designed to just to get you a few miles out of the city. It's because people who couldn't afford um, <laughs> train fares or they couldn't afford uh, the stagecoach to get out. Right. And Thomas Cook, the travel agent, was starting to come in yeah. at this point as well. Yeah. So this was more for the independent traveller. They designed the Wilson Dosset pump trolley. Okay. It could get up to about 15 miles an hour right. on the straight. Right. Didn't do so well on hills because <laughs> you're entirely reliant on two people, which is usually the parents. So mm-hmm. if you don't have very strong-backed parents to carry, <laughs> usually one of the children would be driving as well. What? The eldest child would be steering it. Right, okay. So in... This sounds safe as houses. <laughs> it's the Victorian is it, is it open or is it sort of boxed No, in? it's kind of closed with a canvas, but you could remove the canvas. A canvas? Yes. Right. Well, okay. like a well, like a lin- tarpaulin, yeah, like a linen tarpaulin sort of right, thing. Right. Okay. Yeah, but it didn't really catch on. You think? Uh, because it was only ever used for short trips out of the city, and people said, "Well, we could just walk short trips out of the city." And anyway. that also wouldn't involve risking your life. <laughs> well, the idea was to to travel in style and leisure, and it was sweating like a pig because you're, <laughs> you're pumping one of those things for five miles. And of course, uh, the trains had really taken off. By then anyway yeah and holidays were becoming more and more affordable and one of the issues with this is they wanted to target working class families who couldn't afford holidays right but those working class families tended to live in terraces and they didn't have anywhere to store the a, pump, a pump trolley, trolley. <laughs> so they only sold it to like the curious middle classes who had space right to actually keep one of these things and then they would sort of never want to go on it anywhere <laughs> exactly right you think of like some a very like, nice, well-to-do Victorian gentleman and yeah. lady trying to operate a pump trolley. Together with their, <laughs> with their eight-year-old child <laughs> driving it. 20 miles out into the countryside <laughs> with the child driving it. Right. 
So that is the fact, Paul. Did the Wilson Dosset pump trolley exist? Uh, the answer to that is no, it didn't. <laughs> um, right. It sounds, it does sound plausible, but I I think what, the only thing that's making it sound plausible is the sort of background that you've given mm. of this idea that people would be, were going out on holidays and had more free time and were getting bank holidays from work and stuff. <laughs> the rest of it, I'm kind of really struggling to see that it could ever have been true. A, it's called a pump trolley. <laughs> B, it's not got a real framework. It's just like a tent on wheels. Essentially. C, it's driven by a child most <laughs> of the not time. Driven, it's steered by a child. Steered. Even worse. <laughs> but they're responsible. They worked in factories then. They could... Well, true. Oh, I... <laughs> the Wilson Dosset mm-hmm. pump trolley. Mm. The name sounds sort of like a genuine Victorian invention, but it also sounds like something that you would absolutely have made up to make me laugh. I'm struggling with this, Mm. but I think it's BS. Mm. I think you might have made this up. Okay. Although you told that all very confidently. What were their names? Euphemia. Uh, Euphemia and Clarence. Clarence. And it was Clarence's father was sort of part financed it as well. Uh, Euphemia's father. Euphemia's father. Right. Okay. And it was a wooden board with four rubber wheels, mm. a steering wheel at the front, mm. a pump at the back and room for three passengers mm. encased in canvas, mm-hmm. only used over short distances, <laughs> never bought by at their target audience. No. And this at pretty much the tail end of the sort of railway revolution in the mm. 1890s. <laughs> I just, I, no, I can't, I, I'm convincing myself that it's not true. I think this is BS. But then again, you've got that look of like, I've outsmarted you. No, I, uh, this is BS. I think this is BS. Final answer? No, but I think, it, <laughs> I think it's BS. The Wilson Dosset pump trolley never existed. <laughs> Thank God for that. <laughs> Uh, what goes on in your mind is this modelled on anything even a child no it's not modelled on anything a wooden board on wheels with their parents pumping away for hours in the background not a euphemism (laughs) I literally just wanted a Victorian fact and I couldn't find a good one in time (laughs) so So you invented a pump trolley so I threw this together in like 10 minutes (laughs) It's not bad. I told it quite well, though. I think if you lose this episode, as a punishment, you should have to build one of those. <laughs> what do you mean? It's already been built. How do you think we're getting to the pub today? I'm not getting in your car. We're getting the Wilson Dawson pub trolley. I think I'd rather get in my car compared to that. <laughs> so, yeah, you've just had a fact about inventions. I'm going to go with a fact about inventions. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, first of all, let's see if you can work this out, right? This is a list of dates attached to things. So, what's the connection? Oh, all God. right. Uh, 17th century, tobacco and snuff. 1857, stamps. 1883, postcards. 1888, chewing gum. 1896, food and drink. 1937, penguin paperback books. Okay. What do you reckon that? The, well, so what connects all of those inventions? Yeah. There isn't a bonus point for this. This, ah. is, just, this is just a little quiz. Ooh, What's I that a know. list of? Ooh, things. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yes, it's a list of things. Well done. I hadn't finished Quiz the over. I hadn't, say them again. Okay. okay. Uh, 17th I'm, 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 century, mm-hmm. tobacco and snuff. Tobacco and snuff. 1857, stamps. Mm-hmm. 1883, postcards. Mm-hmm. 1888, chew and gum. Mm-hmm. 1896, food and drink. Mm-hmm. 1937, penguin paperback books. 1896, food and drink. That's really odd. You can't just invent food and drink. Yeah, well, no, food and drink had been around a little bit longer than that, <laughs> I, I think. Say, people had started eating in 1896. <laughs> yeah, before that, we just survived on air. <laughs> ah, yeah, I so, don't know. This is really yeah. flummoxes. They're, they're some sort of accidental invention, maybe. Mm, we accidentally invented food in <laughs> no, 1896. Some, <laughs> some sort of. So, someone fell over, some food landed in their mouth, and they went, wait, well, you, you know what? Humanity should have been doing this since the, the dawn of time. <laughs> some sort of cuisine was invented. Right. Way. Okay. No, I can't place it. Yeah. What's, what's, the, what's the link? The link is that these were the dates on which all of these things were first sold in vending machines. Ooh. Yeah, so the earliest vending machine that we kind of think about in modern times uh, sold tobacco and snuff. It, we say it was a, a vending machine, but it was more sort of honesty box. You would put a coin in and it would dispense... But that's not a vending machine. It would machine. dispense <laughs> a certain amount of snuff or tobacco. Um, yeah, but then stamps were sold in vending machine, machines and then postcards, chewing gum, uh, food and drink for the first time in the 1890s. Um, the very first food and drink that was sold in a vending machine was at an exhibition in Berlin and it was an entire restaurant of food released by vending machines. How did they do, do that? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I didn't go into the Berlin automatic restaurant of 1896. But yeah, that was the first time. And then, yeah, Penguin pa- paperback boots were sold in the 30s in vending machines. You know, mm. the old series of like different yeah. colours. Yeah, so that that's a little, a little cod history of... Of, of vending machines. I'd love to have seen the 17th century tobacco one. Like, well, you know, you... it's it's funny that you should say that. Oh, because, oh is this where uh, we're going? We're, well, no, we're going even further back in the history of vending machines to what is actually now classed as the very earliest vending machine. Please be ancient Roman. We're going back to <laughs> ancient Roman Egypt. Oh, um, th- we're going back to Alexandria mm-hmm. in the first century AD. Okay. So we're kind of into your sort of ballpark here in so ancient... Roman-occupied Yeah, Egypt. Roman-occupied Egypt. Um, and the very first uh, vending machine, which dispensed holy water <laughs> in Egyptian temples. Okay. How did this work, Paul? <laughs> this was designed by a hero of Alexandria, or Heron of Alexandria. He was a very sort of early mathematician mm. and scientist and things. He invented uh, an early wind wheel or an early windmill, sort of harnessing mm. the wind. He invented a wind organ, a wind-powered organ. Um, he also invented Heron's formula for the area of a triangle. Do you know what that is? Oh, yeah talking years back in GCSE maths here. I, I have no idea. I've times, never heard of this. Times the angles by the, the, the sides. Times the angles <laughs> by the sides. That's how it works. <laughs> it's like he's reborn on, on this podcast. It's uh, S multiplied by S minus A multiplied by S minus B multiplied by S minus C square rooted. You don't know what any of those are. Well, apparently A, B and C are the three sides mm. and S is the semi-perimeter, which is A plus B plus C divided by two. Well, I, I literally phased out when you said that. Isn't, isn't this fascinating? <laughs> so, I think we've yeah. got into negative viewership now. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> 
think people are paying us to take this off the air now. I think in sort of 10 seconds, SoundCloud's just going to close our account. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's the formula for finding the area of a triangle. Wake up, everybody. The, the, math, the maths is over. Uh, he also invented uh, the aeolipile. Ooh. which uh, was also known as the hero engine, which is what I call my body. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. So a steam-powered, a steam-filled container, which was sort of braced in a, in a sort of brace. <laughs> it was sort of wow. held in a brace um, and heated up and it would spin because there was a sort of little aperture in it and the mm. steam would escape and it would turn around. And it sort of, it, it was kind of used for just demonstration purposes, we think, back in the, the first century. But it, it's now kind of classed as um, the very that first steam engine. That does ring a bell, actually. I think I've heard engine. of that before. Yeah, the hero engine. That's mm. what I see when I look in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not here to talk about uh, my physique. I mean, uh, the hero engine. We're here to talk about the very first... Um, vending vending machine, machine for holy water. Sometime around about 50 AD, mm-hmm. a good old hero of Alexandria came up with a device which sort of looked like a big ornate bucket. And you would put a coin in the top and the coin inside the bucket would be caught in a little pan mm-hmm. that was on um, kind of like a, a sort of seesaw kind of affair. It would tilt the pan down. Attached to the other end was a counterweight. Mm-hmm. And the weight of the coin would pull the counterweight up mm-hmm. and that would open a valve and start to dispense holy water, which was inside the bucket. Mm-hmm. So you'd hold your hands underneath and you would sort of put your hands in the water and do whatever you needed to do with the holy water. I'm not quite sure what people did with it, but there would be water <laughs> coming out of the little valve at the bottom. And then eventually the uh, coin or the weight of the coin would tilt the pan so far back that the coin would slip out into a sort of collecting basin or something mm-hmm. and that would slam the counterweight back down shut off the valve and it would dispense the a uniform amount of holy water okay. every single time and this is now credited with being the world's earliest vending machine you say holy water mm. i don't know much about roman religion oh actually they could have still had the old ancient Egyptian religion there because you could basically worship whoever you wanted in the Roman Empire as long as I think you give the Roman gods precedence. So Are you which... talking about the Romans again? <laughs> <laughs> it's every fact they're getting in on now. So which gods was this holy water to? Who blessed the holy water? Was holy water even a thing? I have no idea. these pagan religions? All I know is that he invented a holy water dispenser. Everything about this screams BS. <laughs> I think you've taken your absolute basic knowledge of physics one weight moves another weight mm-hmm. that's about <laughs> where my knowledge of science ends and you've kind of gone all out on these front end facts <laughs> and you've just thrown in this is like when you had that invention supposedly invented by c.s lewis this oh yeah cigarette rolling lighting machine. lighting machine yeah and because you're too vague on the religious aspect of it like, I, I don't I, I, I don't even know if holy water was I've never, I never questioned the idea of holy water. Because you just made it up. That's why you didn't question it. And your posture is getting more defensive now, Paul. I think I've got you on the ropes on this one. I'm just relaxing at home. (laughs) In your home. (laughs) Yeah, everything, it's just, there's alarm bells going off all over on this one. I think BS is going to be my final answer. Right. So you don't think that the world's earliest vending machine dispensed holy water? I do not. That story is true. (laughs) No. 
It's completely true, yeah. No! The earliest vending machine is 2,000 years old. and it, That's amazing. Yeah, it dispensed holy water. If only you'd bothered to do more research <laughs> so I could tell you <laughs> about make, who make... the gods were. I had no people, idea. People want to know. I was more amazed by the fact that there was a vending machine in the first century AD. But yeah, apparently, yeah, this uh, hero of Alexandria invented. It's quite the um, inventor hero. I don't remember. I, I don't know much about it. I just remember that steam thing you mentioned. There's, it's one of those things that when I was kind of researching this, I, I recognise his name more than I kind of recognise any of his achievements. It's sort of somewhere in the annals of history. His name kind of cropped up in my head. Mm. But um, yeah, it turns out he's quite incredible. Mm. But um, yeah, earliest vending machine full of holy water. Aye. Interesting. I tend to know more about like the emperors and stuff that side of Rome, but uh, when you get to the like the religious side, it's never been one of my strong points. But I think I'm going to work on it now. Yeah, it's just in case it ever comes up again. <laughs> four, four nil. You can't nil. win. I'm getting hammered. <laughs> what is it? The the winner has to buy a pint. You said if there's a clean sweep. I remember that we went the other way, so that the person who wins six nil has to buy the other person a drink. Right. Since we're going to the pub and about. An hour. Yeah. I'm going to throw these next two facts together. Um, I really, I'm going to tell you that, what the correct answer is. <laughs> let's, let's go, everyone. <laughs> right, Paul, well done. 4 nil. Nil. I'm, I'm setting the template for the rest of the season. It's Christmas 2018 all over again. The flashbacks. Oh, I've no. only just got out of therapy yesterday. That you'll be back in your uh, straitjacket by tonight. <laughs> I'll be on my Wilson Dossett pump engine back to, th- back to therapy. <laughs> but it's my final fact. Because it's the first episode of the new decade. Oh, no. Here we go. This is going to be an eccentric or it's going to be Tolkien. <laughs> It's one of the greatest no, hits. It's not. <laughs> what it have really you done? isn't. It's not. It's, All right, okay. a, it's a quirky, quick little fact. To All right. On. It's okay. not, there's no big eccentric story. Right. But I thought because it's the first ever episode of the 2020s, mm, yeah. um, I thought let's have a few quick facts about what life was like 100 years ago. Some, oh. ev- some events from 1920 okay. to compare to today. Oh, I like it's this. It's a little bit, it's an easy way into it. Okay. So the League of Nations held its first meeting in 1920. Right. Around January, actually. Right. Um, prohibition came into effect in 1920. Oh, yeah. Do you know how long it lasted? I have a feeling it lasted longer than people think it did. Yeah, it ended in 1933. Ah, oh, right. I wouldn't have so, said it was as long as that. I thought prob- it was six or seven years. But... Prohibition was 13 years. Good grief. I mean, you can't even go 13 minutes without a drink. <laughs> so, <laughs> Especially not recording this <laughs> um joan of arc was canonized in 1920 right i was wondering what you're going to say about joan of arc because i thought she she was long gone by 1920 <laughs> joan of arc rose from the dead <laughs> and uh, some of the miracles that were attributed to her were she cured some leg ulcers and she cured someone's stomach cancer apparently wow so these were the miracles that got her canonized and mm-hmm. um, bob hope got his u.s citizenship in 1920 bob hope good yeah. grief and he would have been oh 67 <laughs> in 1920 <laughs> thank you bob hope was in the roman army <laughs> what a guy bob hope was oh, legend yeah i didn't know he was born in southeast london though yeah he's born in london yeah, yeah he left um for the states when he was five. Ah, right yeah yeah another fun little fact um, life expectancy in the US was about 53 for men and 54 for women in wow. 1920. Uh, today, in 2020, it's averages 78. Right. All people in the US. So, right. 100 years, life expectancy's shot yeah. right up. In the 50s, in the 20s. God, that's insane. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing how relatively short like our prosperous time is. Like It's post-war... Mm. 
like 60s, 70s onwards, we've people in the 20s weren't living much different lives mm. till they were d- decades or hundreds of years before. Still, yeah. dirt poor, a lot of people, um, menial jobs, factory yeah. labor. Everything moves on so quickly nowadays, it's insane. Oh, exactly. I mean, I think my phone upgraded itself <laughs> in the last 20 minutes alone. <laughs> so, so who knows where we'll be in the um, 2120s? Yeah, true enough. We'll still be doing this episode, I think. Yeah, probably. You'll still be going through this list. <laughs> <laughs> and a hundred years ago, I started this list. <laughs> and on that note, that's the end of the list. Right. But I wanted to tell you this, my yes or BS fact for 1920. Okay. So I'm going to start with a fact first to let you digest it. Right. So in 1920, did the US Postal Service have to issue a decree to stop people sending their children in the mail? <laughs> Now, you think, why would you have to issue a decree? Surely no one would send their children in the mail. Mm-hmm. But there, apparently there were so many examples of people doing this that they had to say, no. Really? We're, we're not going to accept kids in the mail anymore. <laughs> because apparently they only started to deliver parcels from 1913 and it wasn't clear on what you could send. People would send like a single egg <laughs> in the post. Are dangerous animals. What? Um, uh, one instance in Ohio, a couple sent their son to their grandmother's house and they paid 15 cents in stamps and they insured him for $50 in case something happened to him. What? Yeah. So, so you've got people flying through the post. Did they put air holes in it for him? <laughs> I don't know. If they're... Did they just sort of like put a stamp on his head and the... get him to stand in the post box? <laughs> Well, apparently, it's because a lot of people knew their local postman and they would just escort the children on a route. Oh, you're going down to New York this weekend? Oh, I'm going to post my son with you because it's cheaper than getting him a train ticket. That's insane. He only weighs 25 pounds. So how much is it to send 25 pounds of... um, Of of parcels. Exactly. The people posting their kids class them as harmless live animals. (laughs) That's how you still refer to kids, isn't it? <laughs> Good grief. Another example. Um, another example in February 1914, a couple sent their daughter 73 miles away, again, to the grandmother's house. And they paid 53 cents in stamps for that. And they 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 wrapped her up in a coat. And that was like the packaging. What? For it. So by 1920, the US Postal Service was like, right. We've had enough of this. You're, you're no longer allowed to send children as harmless live animals in the post. <laughs> that's You can't send them at all. That's insane. And that is my fact, Paul. Did, <sighs> did that happen? Did the Postal Service have to issue a decree to stop people doing it? You know what? I think that would not be surprised one bit if this was true. I've just got back from London and it would probably have been cheaper to post myself back. <laughs> so I think this is true. It's insane, but it's it just <clears throat> sounds, yeah, like early, kind of relatively early days of the postal service, I guess. Yeah, if you haven't got a lot of money, you're going to do anything you can to save money. And like when you first started talking about it, I thought it was like you, they'd put them in a box <laughs> no. and like wrap it up, <laughs> post that, them like how cruel would post that be? them sort of secretly, literally, yeah, just put them in a box. <laughs> <laughs> but so, but it was more sort of like an elaborate taxi service, yeah, elaborate escort. Yeah, it's like 
um, I, I need to get my child to this destination so he can just sit in your postal van instead of going on a train. I don't, I don't know if they had like a van. Well, <laughs> or whatever it was. It wasn't like Postman Pat. <laughs> a red van pulled up. Oh, you got me kid with you. <laughs> yeah, so I can imagine that it's probably true. Mm. Harmless live animals. I mean, I don't know why they didn't use the Wilson Dosset pump trolley to get from A to B, really. I mean, it's been long <laughs> established by they, 1920. Maybe it's because they didn't want to utterly exhaust themselves. <laughs> Imagine a 73 mile trip in one of them. <laughs> um, yeah, I think this is true. I, I think it seems madcap enough to be true, mm. but it doesn't seem madcap enough to be um, untrue. Okay, so you think people, <laughs> people used to would... post their children. And the US Postal Service had to tell them to stop posting their children. When you say it like that, obviously not. But I think it might be true. Yes, this is true. Your final answer? Yeah. This is true. Wow. Yeah. People used to post their kids. As harmless live animals. Yeah. That's insane. There was all sorts of other things. Um, Someone would, people would just test the Postal Service. They would send bricks. Just <laughs> as a test. Well, because it was a new and novel thing. It was like, oh, what, what, what can we post? What can I send to my friend? Because they're doing packages now. He has a brick. He has a single egg. <laughs> he has a single egg. He has a snake. What? Like, just pack a snake with no food or water or anything and then just post it. And then off it went. Imagine opening it. If they think you've got a really interesting puzzle, you open it, has got a snake in it. That's all I'm going to send you now. I'm going to send you a brick, <laughs> a single egg. A snake and my firstborn son. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's... <laughs> Getting ready for Christmas already. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. Right, well, that was a good fact. Oh, thank you. But... I, I don't mind being 5 nil down because I've had some quite good ones today. <laughs> uh, yeah, this could be a clean sweep. How are you feeling going at this Ooh, last point? Jittery. Do you reckon you can pull one more pack? I think I, I think I can. Okay. It, the law of averages says I have to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's only 50-50. You get three chances. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. Today, uh, we're going to finish with uh, a lovely story about possibly the most inbred monarch in history. Ooh, this is one of the Habsburg. <laughs> yes, <it's>, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Massive jackpot. chin. Yeah. Is that Charles? <laughs> Charles II there of Spain. Yeah, Yeah, do you know some facts about him? Do you know what kind uh, of era yeah. it was? Oh, was it 1700s? Oh, he died in 1700s, ah, yeah. It wasn't that famous. Someone wrote that famous quote about him, about how inbred he was. Like he had, you might, have you got this quote? I've you? got a quote This about might be him. the same one. I'll let you go for your quote. All right, okay. Um, the same one. Well, a little bit of context. He was the last uh, Habsburg ruler of the Spanish Empire, and he mm. died childless for reasons which we'll get onto. And that led to the War of the Spanish su- Succession, mm. which lasted sort of the next decade, I think, pretty much. Um, yeah, he was. Uh, he became king when he was four, and his mother reigned as sort of regent on his behalf until he was fourteen. But his mother was his father's niece, and his grand <laughs> his grandmother. I, this is one of these sentences I wrote it down. This is all true, by the way. Mm. Uh, this is one of these sentences that I wrote down and then could not even get my head around how it would work. His grandmother was also his aunt. Jesus, <laughs> that's how does that work? <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> That's but, such yeah. a such a next level of inbreeding. And, and this is sort of, I mean, the inbreeding in the Habsburgs has been going on for generations. Mm. Um, so as a result of that, yeah, he had the old Habsburg jaw, mm. which was so bad on him that his teeth didn't meet. 
Jesus. Yeah. Um, he was illiterate and weak because they didn't mm. think that he needed to be taught anything. Uh, he could barely walk upright because mm. his legs were so bad. Uh, he had pituitary gland deficiencies. He was impotent and infertile. So there's a double whammy there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll not, we'll not go into that one. Um, he had a, a, t- a horrible condition called renal acidosis, which is a mm. kidney disease. And his first wife, this might be the quote that you're thinking of. Mm. His first wife thought he was so ugly as to cause fear. <laughs> no, it's a different one. I oh, right. Okay. Of. I can't um, remember what it was, though. It was one of his people of his court describing just how shocking he was. Right. Okay. As a human being. Yeah. I've, like, seen, I've seen portraits of him while I've like, been researching this. I think this, this court ended like it was a miracle he was still alive. <laughs> That's <laughs> written on your medical report. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was, seems like quite a character. His, his first wife um, died 10 years after they were married, unfortunately never consummated, possibly for that list of things I just read <laughs> out. And his second wife yeah, also never consummated the marriage, never had any children. And that's what led to this succession, succession war that, that followed on. Uh, un, unusual, very tragic kind of guy. Hmm. Um, but did you know that in Spanish culture, he is credited with inventing a type of omelette? <laughs> I don't think he had the mental capacity to invent um, anything. Well, because his jaw didn't meet properly, he had really uh, trouble um, chewing. He also had a, a massively inflated and bloated tongue, mm. um, which sounds awful. Uh, so everything that he had to eat was sort of quite soft. And so there's this, I, I say it's an omelette, but it's called a frittata de equisado. Wow, your Spanish pronunciation is beautiful there. I, I do German, I don't do Spanish. Uh, Equisado means the bewitched, which was his mm. sort of nickname. Um, you know how we have like Alfred the Great. Mm. He was Charles the Bewitched because of how he looked, which is a not because bit he loved the TV show Bewitched. <laughs> yeah, he's such a fan of Larry Hagman. Um, yeah, so this frittata de hoquido or equisado mm. um, is it was sort of made in his honor because it's supposedly quite easy to eat. Uh, so the ingredients are four eggs plus one extra egg white, which I'm guessing sort of keeps it a little bit softer. Some soft white cheese, which pr- was probably originally feta, but now it's used with gruyere. Skinned and de-seeded tomatoes. So it's just the flesh of tomatoes. Uh, no no roughage for old uh, <laughs> old Carlos here. Uh, spinach leaves with no stalks. So you've got to take the, the, the hard no bits off. No um, And it was cooked with grasa roja, which is, literally means red fat, which uh, we think was probably a mixture of paprika and lard. And, and that's what it was cooked in. Uh, and all of this was, the idea was to keep it as soft as possible. Yeah, so cooked very softly and very slowly in a, in baked in an oven and then quartered. Um, and that's how it's served. But mm-hmm. is it served at all? <laughs> the yes and yes fact is, is the most inbred monarch in history credited with an omelette. Right. I'm five nil down. Mm-hmm. I'm literally just going to have to play the averages game on this one. <laughs> <laughs> no interrogation at all. It's your just first, a stab in the dark. Your both facts have been true, haven't mm-hmm. they? I think you've pulled a Tony and gone true all three, or because sometimes I go false all three or true all three. Mm-hmm. I, think I don't pulled... think I've ever done a false all three. Mm. Yeah, I've certainly done a true all three a couple of times. Yeah, Is that think... literally all you're going on? <laughs> yeah. It's not not how how lately the most inbred monarch in history is. So it's no... not the fact that the monarch invented it. He didn't invent it. it. I don't the, think his, he was... The Spanish had... people invented it as a kind of... His right. sort of court kook in... invented a particularly soft frittata for him. I don't want to say it like in mockery of him, but it sounds like it doesn't sound like it's a very flattering dish. I think it was just sort of because he had such trouble eating, it was as soft as possible. Mm. 
Um, that's why, probably why it was cooked in this sort of red lard. That's sort of the basis for most of your meals. <laughs> yeah, I think. It's just my shopping list for tomorrow. <laughs> red lard. No paprika and lard. <laughs> Well, I've got to keep this hero engine powered somehow. Oh, God. <laughs> There'll be no end to this. <laughs> I think this, even though I've kind of done the averages thing and think you're going to do th- all three that are true, mm. I think this actually will be true. Okay. It sounds like it's it was all, It's quite popular to name a dish after a country's leader or mm-hmm. a monarch. Mm. I can't think of any others off the top of my head. There's a lot of like like beef stroganoff. Victoria sponge cake. Victoria there you sponge. go, after Queen Victoria. Yeah. So it's not unheard of. It's quite common. And it sounds like some of these ingredients, I don't think you would have made them up like paprika and lard. <laughs> like you've got Bread fat. <laughs> yeah, red fat. I don't that sounds like something you would make up. Okay. So on that basis I'm mm-hmm. going to say that, yes, this is true. There was, <laughs> I could be losing six nil here, but there was an omelette called the Bewitched Omelette mm-hmm. after Carlos II of Spain, the most <laughs> inbred man on the planet. Okay. You want to change your mind after that sentence? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> nope. Final answer. Okay. Final answer. You know, this is for a clean sweep. Mm-hmm. That fact. Mm-hmm. Is BS. No. <laughs> no. No. First ever no. clean sweep. No. <laughs> oh, no. I was kind of willing you to get that right. But yeah, I'm sorry, Tony. Six nil. No, uh, he was incredibly Ill- inbred. Um, and it's all completely true that he had trouble chewing and his teeth didn't meet. But no, that dish does not exist. So I, I had to Google what the Spanish for red lard was. <laughs> <laughs> but n- none of that exists. I'm <laughs> speechless. This is insane. We've, I, I genuinely never thought it would ever happen. After 120 odd facts, yeah. we finally had a clean sweep. And it would be you who got it, wouldn't it? <laughs> It would be. With a fact about the most inbred man ever. God mocks me daily. <laughs> That'll be the title of the next episode. <laughs> you, you think you're going to be on the next one? <laughs> we'll be recording it in the sanitarium that you're about to go in. <laughs> so I'm going to put a post out. Sycophants required to replace Jones. Oh, oh, no. I, I feel a bit bad. So what you've done, you've taken a very unfortunate situation of a very poor inbred man. Don't try and turn this around on me. <laughs> <laughs> heavily inbred man who through no fault of his own it's a, it's a very tragic story um, mm. and the more I was finding out about him I, th- I knew I wanted to do a fact about him but then when I read that he couldn't chew I was like no this is a good little this is a little chink in the arm at the ah. twist and uh, sort of shoehorn something the, random in it's the first little glint of evil from Paul I know I'm sorry I'm sorry Six-nil. yeah I genuinely never thought it would ever happen but <laughs> I'm, well, what a way to start season four. I'm li- literally sitting with my mouth, the jaws dropped. <laughs> you know what this means, though? You'll probably now win 6-0 on all five other episodes. <laughs> Imagine the probabilities. We, we need a statistician in here. Oh, God. Jeez. Yeah, well, we've set the bar for high for this, right. this season. You look well, shell-shocked. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank so what, you. What did we learn? Um, Nothing from Paul. Uh, uh, can you remember anything that's happened now? Well, we remember the Romans used to march on the left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's because you haven't done a Roman fact. It You've is. fallen apart. I'm not on my strengths. Yeah. Uh, oh. Well, the true facts were that, um, yeah, Calvin Coolidge used to ride a fake horse for exercise. In the uh, in in the White House, uh, Charles II of Spain was horrendously inbred, but he doesn't have an omelet named after him. I'm, so, I'm sorry. And uh, yeah, the oldest vending machine in the world was um, ancient Egyptian holy water dispenser. And from my side, we learned people used to send their children in the post. That's in insane. Uh, we also learned from me that the Wilson Dosset engine should be invented. There's one in your drive. And I'm gonna, oh no, that, that's just my car. I'm going to run you over with it in spite. <laughs> Two miles an hour. <laughs> Excuse me, I said it got to 15 miles an hour. God, how fast would they have to pump it? <laughs> we've, done, we've done the Wilson Dosset engine, we're gone. But my first fact was about the tablets of Mesopotamia. Yeah. That's interesting. You had some really good facts. It's so some... once again, I win the moral victory. And what I ha- now have to buy you a drink. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go! <laughs>